time to pray here in a little bit. Okay? How many of you could use prayer every day? Couldn't we all? All right, we all can. I know I am always in great need of prayer. And so uh, I, think, I think too many churches today don't, don't place a high priority on praying together. And uh, I think that that is, if we, if we fail to do that, we're trying to do everything in our own ability. And uh, so we need as a church always to see great value in praying together and uh, going through prayer lists and the different needs that people have. And uh, as we pray, you know, the prayer list is meant to be taken home with you. You may not be able to mention every name tonight, but you can throughout seven days in a week. And uh, all of us, all of us always stand in need of prayer in one way or another. Uh, tonight we're going to be in John 12. Beginning in, uh, you know, we're going, to, we're going to start in verse number one tonight, uh, just to get the context of all that is taking place here in this chapter. And um, we're going to read on down to about verse 21 this evening. But I'm glad that you're here tonight. I'm thankful to see you. And I've been praying a lot today for you and, uh, and, and for me, and uh, just really praying for each of you and uh, the needs that you carry, the burdens that you carry, and uh, the different things that you're having to deal with. And um, we always, none of us ever know the load that each of us carry. So it's good when we're thinking about someone to stop and, and pray for them for a little while and ask the Lord to help them. John 12, verse 1, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? Then he said, Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone, against thy day of my bearing hath she kept this. The Lord just showed me this, so I'm going to share this with you, okay? If, if Jesus Christ can't get everybody to see the good in what he is doing, everybody's not going to see the good in what you're doing. Everybody's not always going to agree with you. You got that? It doesn't mean that you're doing the wrong thing. It's just some people have different opinions. Are you with me? And so, I mean... Judas is upset because Mary is doing this offering unto the Lord. And the Lord just says, leave her, leave her be. Now, verse number 9. Much people, the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised 
from the dead. Now Jesus raises them from the grave in chapter 11. He says those mortal words, Lazarus come forth and here comes the man who four days had been dead and who his own sister said by now he stinketh. But here he come bound in those grave clothes to be let free. And in, the, in all of that, a lot of people came to believe in Jesus as a result. And now here in chapter 12 and verse 9, there's a lot of people who knew that Jesus was there and they came to where Jesus was, but they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, Lazarus, we don't have one single word recorded that Lazarus ever said recorded in the Bible. But what we do have is testimony after testimony after testimony of people who came to Jesus as a result of what Christ had done in his life. And so they came because they they could see something in Lazarus that they recognized was only God. And the chief priests in verse number 10 consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. They wanted him gotten rid of. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Do you know why? Do you know why everyone who was associated with Lazarus and saw his testimony, why they suddenly believed? Because they could see what Jesus had done in his life. All right? That's important for this message tonight. He didn't have to say a word, Brandon, but people recognized that God done something in him. And they saw the power of Christ. Now, verse 12, on the next day, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Then Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done those things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they had heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which is of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. That's engraved right here on this pulpit. We would see Jesus. These people had gathered together for the Passover. They had come to Jerusalem for the feast that was to be celebrated in remembrance of what God had done for the Israelites in Egypt. They had 
they had come together and they had seen Jesus in Lazarus. And many people had become believers because of the miracle that had been done. And seeing all of this, there were some God-fearing Gentiles, certain Greeks in verse 20, who came up to worship at the feast. When they heard all that Jesus had done, they went to one of his disciples, Philip, and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. That's the topic of my message tonight. Father, bless us as we gather together. Bless your word as it's delivered this evening. Help us, Father, to turn our focus on you. Let us be a testimony of your goodness and grace. Let us overcome ourselves, our weaknesses, the things that we struggle with every day. Father, I pray that in the midst of our trials and in the midst of our victories, that people would see Jesus in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, why, why do people need to see Jesus? Why do we need to see Jesus? Well, I want to offer you three things tonight of why we need to see Jesus. And the first one is this, because he is God manifest in the flesh. I want you to hold your place here in John, because we're going to come back, okay? But turn your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at the last verse. For centuries, men have tried to rationalize the deity of Christ. They've tried to explain it away in human terms. And there are some who claim Jesus was a good man, that he was a prophet, but that he could not be the Son of God. There are some who believe he was not really a man at all, believing that Jesus did not belong essentially to his nature, but that the Messiah descended upon Jesus at his baptism and left him before his death. George Truett said, The only rational solution of the humanity of Jesus is the acknowledgement of his deity. That he was in fact God. You ought to highlight this verse. If you've been through discipleship, 1 Timothy chapter 3 should have probably already been marked in your Bible. I want you to look in verse 16. It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That God was manifest in the flesh. That being the person of Jesus Christ. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world received up into glory. I want you to highlight that verse in your Bible because that speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is not only the Son of Man, but he is also the Son of God. He is God manifest in the flesh. Go back to John chapter 1, beginning three verses of John chapter 1. And I want you to look at these verses that also point to the deity of Christ. Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So that is saying that the Word was in the beginning with God. It is saying that everything was created by the Word, and it is also telling us that the Word was God. Well, who is the Word? In verse 14, the Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, we know the only begotten Son of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Word. That is His deity. He is God manifest in the flesh. Go to John chapter 10. Gospel of John chapter 10. 
Look with me in verse 27. Great verses, eternal security, great verses on the deity of Christ. Learn these verses. My sheep, John 10 verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. God manifests in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. I was reading in Matthew this week, and I was reading of the disciples, and and Jesus said, get in the ship and go to the other side. And you remember they were in that journey, and they were going over to the land of the of uh, where the uh, lunatic was. And uh, they're traveling the sea, and suddenly they're overcome with the wind and the waves. And they come down to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, do you care not that we perish? And Jesus comes up, and he calms the seas, and he, he calms the wind. And the Bible says that they marveled, the apostles, they marveled, saying, what manner of man is this? I'll tell you what man he is, he's God. That's who he is. God can do that. And so people need, people need to know who Jesus is. Well, another reason people need to see Jesus is because he is the light of the world. I'll keep you in John. Look in chapter 12. Look in verse 46. Jesus testifying of himself says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. All right? He is the light of the world. People in sin, they live in darkness, they live in fear, they live without hope. Jesus came to, to do away with the darkness. Go back to chapter 1, same, same book, Gospel of John. Look there in verse number 4 with me. John writes, testifying of the light, verse 4, In him was life, the word, Jesus, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. You know what John the Baptist is saying there, Carrie? John the Baptist recognized that if people just came to him, that wasn't good enough. Because he wasn't the light. He wasn't the one that could deliver them from darkness. He was there to point them to the light. He was there to bear witness of the light. John the Baptist couldn't save anybody. Pastor Ricky Clemens couldn't save anybody. Stephen Burks can't save a soul. Only Jesus can do that. And so, Brandon, everybody, if they have any hope... They gotta, they gotta get to Jesus. We have to show them who Jesus is, because thirdly, he is the hope for all humanity. Well, you know how he was announced on the day of his birth in Luke chapter two. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Turn to Acts chapter four with me. I like I like to hear you flipping through the Bible and not just reading it on the screen. Okay? Acts chapter 4, look with me in verse number 12. So Jesus is, he was announced by the angels as a savior. 
In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that is at the name of Jesus Christ, chapter 14, Acts 14. We've just been dealing with this in the last couple of weeks, verse 38 and 39. Paul has delivered a message. He's delivered the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection. And speaking of Jesus, he says in Acts 14, verse 38, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things. So it's Jesus that changes people. Miss Angie, I, I fully believe that the devil would love nothing more than for us to only think about ourselves, you know, and, and get caught up in, in our own daily struggle. And, uh, and, and really we see our need. And when we're focusing on our need, we tend to dismiss other people's need, John. We, we dismiss the fact that what these people really need is they need to see Jesus in me. They need to see Jesus Christ. When Peter and John were, were delivered unto the, unto the priests and to the council, and they wanted to know by what power did you heal this man, they did not lift up themselves. They did not say, because we're living right, we're living for the Lord. They said, if you really want to know by what power, let it be known. It is in the name of Jesus Christ. All right? Because there's none other name where people can be saved. And so every day, every single day, I have to remind myself and preach to myself that today isn't about me. People need to see Jesus through me today, whether in word or whether in a testimony such as Lazarus. What people saw in Lazarus was a life dramatically changed by Jesus that no one could deny. And this led a few God-fearing Greeks to desire to see Jesus themselves. And so my second point tonight is how can we see Jesus today? George Shrewd again, he said, Jesus ought to be more real to us than any other person in all the world. Jesus is not some mere theory, some inspiring memory, some vague personal influence. But he is a person to be approached, to be felt, to be trusted, to be loved, and to be obeyed even unto death. So how can we see Jesus today? Because Miss Anita, we can't see Jesus with our own eyes. We're not physically going to see Jesus walk in this room today. <coughs> We're going to have to see him by faith. And so how can we do that? How can we see Jesus today? Well, I got, I got a few things to give you tonight. We can see him through personal Bible study. Okay? We can see him through time in the Word of God. And I believe, again, I believe that, we are, that sometimes we... Our, our schedule is so full that we spend such little time in the Word and we miss out on really recognizing who Jesus is and seeing Him at work. The challenge in America is the sheer number of things that divide our attention. Our jobs, our responsibilities, our hobbies, our devices, our family's overbooked calendar of activities, 
And every one of us struggle with those things. I remember hearing a preacher say that in America, we can leave our house in the morning and rarely think of our need for God's help throughout the day. Because we've got it. We're, we're about the business. And many times we don't even think about the Lord because we're busy taking care of our responsibility. We don't know what it is to be completely dependent upon the Lord for our daily bread. And leaving us with a, what I fear is a distorted view of who Jesus is. And in order for us to get to know anyone, we must spend time communicating with them. Amen? Otherwise, we simply create our own ideas of who they are. If we're not communicating, we're, we're just basing, we're basing who they are on assumptions. Well, I'm watching them and I think this is about them. You have to, relationships are built through communication. The man who neglects his Bible will never see Jesus for who he really is. We can, one can believe there's a God by looking at his creation. But without reading the word, we never learn of his compassion and genuine love. We do not see his holiness or his righteousness. Without the word, we would never know of his plan to redeem man from his sin by graciously offering forgiveness and eternal life through his atonement upon the cross. Without the word, we wouldn't know his future plan for us. We would know nothing of the indwelling Christ within us. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 24. And uh, this will be familiar because I preached from this passage two weeks ago on, on creating a discipleship culture. But I, I'm just going to highlight some things here. This is where the two disciples are returning to Emmaus on the day of Christ's resurrection. And they were confused because of the events that took place. And their idea of who Christ was had been shattered by the cross. And as Jesus drew near to them, I want you to look at verse 19. Because the Bible says that their eyes were holden that they should not know him. They didn't recognize him. And then go down to verse 27. Because there it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he revealed who he was, his true purpose, and exactly why Christ came. He revealed that to them by getting them in the scriptures. Now, later in verse 31 and 32... The Bible says that their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? <coughs> I think, I often read this and I see things missing on social media. And sometimes I question, I wonder if God really did do that. I, I think a lot of times we create this idea of who we think God is. And that he is at our beck and call at all times waiting for us to tell him what to do. I fear that that is the American God that we've created in our mind. If you really want to know who the Lord is, base it upon the word of God. Amen. Get in the Bible every single day and want to know him more. And, and get an idea and a re, build that relationship with him. I can promise you this. My wife and I are married, but we're not going to have a happy marriage if we're not communicating. Amen? And that just doesn't mean Pastor Ricky comes in and tells what everybody else is supposed to do. That means i got to be listening to what 
her needs are and what she is wanting from me. Now, secondly, we can see Jesus through personal, private prayer. Okay? Turn to Matthew 6. At what other time do we place ourselves into a more vulnerable position as we do when we pray? And how much more sincere are we when we pray privately when there is no one else around than in a public setting? All right? So it's private time. We'll look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and Jesus offers us insight on how to pray. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. I'm telling you, just, just get off to yourself, get someplace quiet, go to a closet, close the door if you need to. That's what Jesus said. Find a place where you get off to yourself and just talk to the Lord. Amen? So, so I was praying with my daughter the other night, and uh, the other day, and we were talking about some things. And, uh, and in that prayer, at, she, she prays quite often. And this particular time, she was having a little bit trouble praying. And I said, Claire, I said, why don't you do this? I said, close your eyes. I said, do you see your daddy? Of course, she says, no. And I said, well, open your eyes. I said, now look at me. I said, now close them. I said, can you see your daddy now? She says, yes. And I said, you see me because you picture me there. I said, just picture God sitting in the chair right beside you. He's not a million light years away. He's right there. Amen? And he's wanting to have fellowship with you. So sit down with him and just have a conversation knowing that he wants to hear what you have to say. And put yourself, as for us, I wasn't telling her this, but for us, put ourselves in a vulnerable position. Let's get serious. Let's open our heart to the Lord Let's pour everything out there, allow him to correct us where we're wrong, and just let it, let it, let's give it to the Lord, and let's see him do what only God can do. Amen? So, it takes time to be spiritual. It requires the humbling of ourselves, the surrendering of our own wills, and recognizing the role that Jesus has in our everyday lives, not just the eternal one. If we really want to see Jesus, take some time to genuinely call on his name. All right? Thirdly, turn to 1 John chapter 1. Not, not the gospel of John, but the epistle of 1 John towards the end of your Bible. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation, Jude and Revelation. Now, thirdly, we, we, we can see Jesus through our personal Bible time. We can see Jesus through private personal prayer. We can see Jesus thirdly through personal sanctification. All right? In order for us to see Jesus, this is what that means. We must hate our sin, Darren. Hate it. Hate it. Are you with me? I mean, hate it. So, 1 John 1, 9. Probably you learned this a long time ago. If we confess our sins, he is what? 
faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a great promise to hold on to, right? If we, can, if we, we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's going to take care of us. He's going to get it right, okay? It's a great promise for us to lay claim to. But he doesn't stop there. Look, two verses later in chapter 2, verse 1. He writes this, My little children, these things write unto you that you do what? Sin not. All right? He says, yeah, we got the precious promise in 1 John 1, 9. But he is telling us that doesn't give us a license to live however we want to live. He's saying, don't do it. Stay away from it. Don't allow that in your life. Here's an idea. Rather than confessing your sins all the time, how about deciding not to give into the foolish temptation next time? Amen? He adds to verse 1. Now let's finish the verse. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with a father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Well, thank God for his mercy and his compassion, right? I mean, if you need a lawyer, Jesus is the best lawyer you can have. Amen? He's the, he's the best lawyer a sinner can have. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. But wouldn't it be embarrassed, Tyler? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be embarrassing if, if tomorrow you went to your lawyer and said, I messed up again today. Can you, what, what, what did you do? Same charge as yesterday. Can you get me out of it again today? And then tomorrow, I messed up again today. Same charge as yesterday. Can you get me out of it today? That would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? I mean, your attorney will say, get you another attorney, right? I mean, get you somebody else to represent you. It ought to be embarrassing to us to have to confess the same thing over and over and over and over again. There ought to be something in us, Miss Sheena, that we hate it. We hate it to the point that we want to repent of it, and we want to quit it, and we want to move forward. All right? Because if you really want to see Jesus, you've got to get past the sin in your life, and you've got to get your eyes on him. You can't be looking at him with your hands and your heart all over in this stuff over here. Where your heart is, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So you can't, be, you can't be over here and got your eyes on Jesus Christ. you gotta, you got to be personally sanctified. Uh, go, go a couple pages to your left. You're in 1 John. Go to James. You go, you go left at 2 Peter. The next book is 1 Peter. Then James chapter 5. All right? James chapter 5. Look in the middle of verse 16. Because it tells us this, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's important. Because a righteous man's prayers gets through because he values his relationship with the Lord. He's not callous to his sin and makes a mockery of his relationship with Christ by always committing sin, trespass to the Lord, and getting his heart away from him. No, his desire is to be a righteous man, one that honors and pleases God. And therefore, when he prays and he offers a fervent prayer to the Lord, it accomplishes much. And the example there is Elijah. And Elijah prayed, and the rain came down after three and a half years. 
And I listened to a message years ago that had a great impact on me. Does it rain when you pray? Does it rain when you pray? When Elijah prayed, God shut up the heavens. When he prayed, God, God sent the rain. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's move on. We can see Jesus through personal relationships. Go to Matthew 11, all right? Matthew chapter 11. We good tonight? Amen. Matthew chapter 11. We can see Jesus through personal Bible study, through private prayer. We can see him through personal sanctification, holiness. We can see him through personal relationships. In Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6, John the Baptist was in a personally difficult trial. He had been imprisoned and at that time was having a moment of doubt, and understandably so. Although he had proclaimed Jesus as the Lamb of God in John chapter 1, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And even though he told his disciples in John chapter 3 that he must increase, Christ must increase, while John the Baptist, I must decrease, he suddenly finds himself needing encouragement. Now read with me. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. And the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever <coughs> shall not be offended in me. Jesus recognized that John just needed some encouragement. And he told those disciples, go back and tell him everything you have heard and seen yourself. Tell him what Christ is doing. Tell him what, I'm do what I've done and how lives are changed. And through that fellowship and through that testimony, a discouraged individual can then go forth and give his life because of who Jesus is. Are you with me? He's discouraged, he's down. But the testimony and the fellowship of other believers encourages him to face the trial that is before him. So Christian fellowship is vitally important because it is encouraging to hear how God is working in the lives of others. We are a people who need relationships and we find Jesus in a community of believers that enables us to face the biggest tests of our faith. That's why Thomas, God, the devil will do everything he can to get you out of church. Get you out of fellowship, get you out of community. He'd do everything he can to get you discouraged and down and beaten down and think, Jesus just don't care right now. God doesn't care. He's not listening to me. He'd do everything he can to get you there. And what all of us need is to come alongside the brethren. We don't have to say a word. We just need to be in their presence. Amen? So we all know this. If, if, uh, if somebody dies in my family, 
And everybody, everybody who comes, you, you, you know, you want to help them, but you really don't know what to do, right? And so we offer that phrase, if I can do anything for you, just call me, let me know, right? I'm not going to call you. I'm probably not going to. I'm probably not going to do that. You know, but it but it means something to me that you said that, right? And and over the years, what I have learned is this: the best thing you can do is just sit there and be quiet. Your presence means something. Amen. Your your pre- because you care. Suddenly, just you being there encourages me. It ministers to me. You didn't say a word but you help me, all right? That is the importance of personal relationships, fellowship, community. Reach out to people, be an encouragement, minister to them. And in the midst of your trial, don't get to yourself, don't run away, run toward God's people and let them be a help to you, all right? Then we can see Jesus through personal responsibility, all right? In the midst of trials and uncertainty, we struggle trying to make sense of it all. We become blinded sometimes to our own hurts and just want to be left alone, which many times is just to allow us to be swallowed up with our sorrows. I've done it many, many times myself. But it is then that we must remain faithful. We must hold on to the promises that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Aren't you glad of that? Hold on the promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Hold on the promises that, that, uh, that he is with us whithersoever we goest. Hold on the promises that all things work together for good to them who love God. <coughs> and to pray that even though we don't understand what's happening, maybe God has something bigger down the road if we'll just be faithful and, and be patient and let him show himself. Well, Proverbs 16, verse 3 instructs us, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. I pray that prayer to my, I remind myself, and I quote that verse to myself often. When, my, when there's a battle in my mind, just, get, just go do something for the Lord. Just get out of the house, get out of the room, go do something for God, and let him establish the right thoughts. Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10 tells us. Someone sent this verse to me this week, and it was a great encouragement. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. All right? So you'll see Jesus on the pathway of duty, not sitting in a room somewhere waiting for it and dwelling on your problems. Can I get an amen? All right? Sitting in the room, dwelling on your problems never helps anyone. Get busy. Go do something for the Lord. Try to help somebody and let God establish his, uh, his path. Be faithful. Be faithful and see what God will do. All right? Lastly, turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. All right? We can see Jesus through personal Bible study, through private prayer, through personal sanctification, we, we, see Jesus, we see Jesus through personal relationships, through personal responsibility, personal duty, you could say. And we see Jesus through personal submissiveness. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Read this with me. 
You don't know why Paul, why God used Paul in such a big way? I believe this is it right here. This is why God used Paul in the big size ways that he did. Philippians 3 verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He wanted to see Jesus more than any earthly reward could be given. He wanted to know Jesus Christ. Right? He says, he continues, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. You guys on the front row, you know what dung is, don't you? All the good that he has ever done, he says, that's nothing compared to what Christ gives me. Right? He says that I, he says, I count all of that but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Because then we'd get all the, we'd get all the bragging, we'd get all the praise. He says, I want to be found in Jesus. That which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Paul said nothing else matters. Everything, every good thing I've ever done, I count it loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to know him. I want to be found in him. I want to experience the power of his resurrection. I want to know what it is to suffer, fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death. Very people are ever so committed that they're willing to lose everything, including their life, that they might see Jesus the way that Paul did. I was, I was talking late last night to one of my boys, they came up and and I just sat there. I didn't just sat down, and I was busy studying. They just sat down, didn't say a thing. And so I just turned my chair around and I said, "What's up?" And he was just sharing some things from his own heart. And we were talking about uh, personal goals. We were talking about things in his life. And I told him, I said, son, I said, I, don't, I want you to always remember this right here. If it matters that much to you, you have to give it everything you got. I said, you got to be dedicated to it. You got to sacrifice for it. You got to give it everything you have. Even then, it's not guaranteed that you'll be successful. But if it matters that much to you, I said, you're going to have to give it everything you got. You've got, you got to be willing to outwork everyone. You've got, you got to be willing to put yourself last if it's worth it. I said, it doesn't matter what it is. 
you want to be a great business owner, if you want to be a high school principal, if you want to be a coach, if you want to be a pastor, you have got to give it everything that you have. Paul gave it everything that he had for the cause of Jesus. Amen? And that's why I believe he saw Jesus in ways that we, we're we not going to see him. He experienced Jesus in ways that are unusual to us because we've never been that, to that level of commitment. I close with this. So men and women, if we will pay the price, we may daily see Jesus. May know that he walks with us, talks with us, lives with us, and lives in us. Our certain help for every day and duty of earth. And thus seeing him and serving him brighter and better shall be all our days. Even unto that blissful day when we shall pass through the gates of the celestial city. Where we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. May we pray tonight, God help me to see you. Help me to know you more. And may others see you within me. Amen. It's 8.05 tonight. I think they go to 8.15 in Awana.